Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Cross Street Coaching. We're continuing our leadership series today, and with me, virtually, I have Luis. Thank you for being for having me here. It's a pleasure to be here, Luis Gonzalez. Thank you. Likewise, likewise. And Luis, how do you like to be introduced? Luis, communication and culture specialist from California. Luis Gonzalez is my full name. Culture and communication specialist. We'll talk more about that. Excellent. Communication specialist. Yes, sir. We will be talking about that because obviously when we talk about things like leadership, uh, communication is almost one of the primary means that they impart their knowledge. They get things done. It's usually all about communication. And you have a really interesting take on communication, uh, a fierce leadership style, a fierce communication style. And so yep. I'd love for you to kind of dive in and tell me about the work you do and how you arrived at this position of communications. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let me just, let me start big and say, you know, why are, why are we even here talking about conversations? And you mentioned it and the way I, I look at it is conversations are the workhorse of organizations and the work of us leaders. Business is essentially one extended conversation between clients and salespeople and everyone else involved outside of the, you know, the, the work environment or professionally speaking, we're all navigating our lives one conversation at a time, either mm-hmm. with our careers or our companies or think about our relationships. We're either moving towards the goals, the results in our companies, teams and personal relationships or we're moving away from those. And it happens gradually, then suddenly one conversation at a time. So generally speaking, importance are key to our success or not right uh, in the business world and in our you know professional or per- personal lives as well. How I got into that was, I think, number one, and I've been asked this before, uh, I think I'm just hardwired that way. I was one of those kids that they couldn't get to shut up and always asking questions. Why? Why? And as a young kid, I would watch uh, people having conversations and that those conversations would have some sort of breakdown, misunderstandings, if you will. And mm-hmm. I was always the kind of person that would try to get in and bridge gaps and, you know, bridge that understanding. And can't we all get along kind of a mentality? And I was always interested in, in what is it that causes those breakdowns? Uh, so that was always an interest for me as a kid. Long story short, I eventually found myself uh, working for a global company in the hospitality industry. And I was exposed to many different cultures from around the world and working with people from many different cultures. And then I became really interested in, okay, we're all speaking English here. And yet sometimes there's miscommunication, there's misunderstandings. What's the cause of that? How do we fix it? How can we improve it, et cetera? And so that's kind of what got me interested in that. Yeah, in that field. And so you had cited that obviously coming from your personal background that you noticed that misfiring, right? I think of whenever I describe this, I always think of that, uh, you know, the colonial revolution where you have the the British militia and lines, and then you have the <laughs> American soldiers in the woods and those two different formats and just how they're incompatible in one wins over the other. And sometimes conversations are like that. One person is speaking and thinking things in a very logical way. Some people are thinking very mm-hmm. casual. Mm-hmm. What have you found that when you're starting to break this apart from your kind of personal passion that is honestly going on that causes these misfires in sure. communication? Sure. We all have what I I call or what we call a context. We all have a lens through which we filter events in life, people, situations, etc. And that, that that context filter, if you will, that lens is formed by past experiences. And so we see and interpret life through our own particular lens. There's not it's not right, it's not wrong, it's just how we view and interpret life, again, based on past experiences, etc. But the tricky part is they become our truths. 
and I begin to say things like, everyone in Group X is like that, or they are all like that, or from my experience, it is like this. And I'll enter a conversation with that context, or let's say with that perspective, with that viewpoint, with that outlook, forgetting or not realizing or not honoring that you might have a completely different perspective. The simple example I give, and I used to do this when we would uh, be in class workshops pre-pandemic, I would ask people to simply just either look out of the window that was in the office, holler out, you know, what's out there. People would call out different things or simple as this. I would ask people, describe the room. You'd hear all kinds of answers. Well, who's wrong? No one. Who's right? Well, everyone, it's that it's their experience. One person says it's too cold in here. The other person says it's too hot. Not enough light. It's too bright. Who's right? Who's wrong? We all have experiences and we all have these perspectives and we bring them to the conversation where it gets tricky is we feel that we're right and we maintain our rightness about how it is rather than exploring how you see it. Here's how I see it. How do you see it? Help me understand how you see it. And then going from there. So that's kind of where I think things start off. Now, let me take it a little bit deeper in terms of context. I just gave you some simple examples. When you start getting uh, people from different cultures, be they different cultures within the United States or be they different you know, cultures from around the world, those values that form a context stay in the conversation. So for example, my experience having worked in Mexico, Brazil, India, uh, some cultures, communication speaking, communication-wise speaking, if you will, uh, are more indirect communicators. They will not directly come out and tell you uh, the facts or even directly come out and tell you no, like a hard no, where other cultures, our American, um, United States American culture, for example, some Northern European cultures are very direct. If the answer is no, we'll tell you no. Now, when I worked at Microsoft in India, I had to train my staff, the people who reported to me in terms of what I was, you know, I was their coach, essentially. I had to train them how to say no when the answer actually is no to their American customers. Now, this is at Microsoft. So these are high-end partners and customers. And in that culture, and I don't want to paint a wide brush and say, you know, all Indians or all people from this culture will not say no. But generally speaking, there's a trend. It's culturally based. We don't want to offend. We don't want to hurt. We don't want to... Uh, ruffle the feathers. And so we find indirect ways to say no. I say we, meaning people who are indirect communicators, where we Americans tend to be very direct. If the answer is no, the answer is no. So as an example, to kind of land this, American manager who has a team, let's say it's the IT team in India or another retail team that that he or she is managing in Latin America, let's say. And in a direct way, the American manager asks the question, okay, we've got this deliverable that needs to be delivered. We've got a project needs to be delivered uh, by Friday, close of business, your time. Are we going to have that or, you know, something to that effect? The answer they may get in my experience at Microsoft in India could be something like the answer may sound something like uh, we'll do our level best as an example, right? So mm-hmm. the American who's maybe never lived outside the United States or maybe you know has not traveled extensively or is unaware of, of any of this, what we're talking about, they hear that at face value and think that's a yes. Yeah, we'll do our level best. Sounds pretty positive. I guess I can count on it on Friday. Well, I know, knowing what I know, <laughs> that's a no. We'll do our level best was a soft no. And so a that's way of saying a, no. a polite way of saying no. Now in that culture, 
They know. Don't expect it on Friday. But the American mindset, the American context hears that and says, it sounds like it's pretty good. So then I would train also, the flip side of the coin is, I would coach and train American, U.S. American leaders, managers, and executives on how to get the answers that they need when they're dealing with cultures and communicating with team members from other cultures that are indirect communicators. So for example, that American manager that said, hey, we're going to have that by Friday. And the answer they got was, we'll do all our level best. Hey, don't stop there, American manager. Ask more questions. Dive in deep. Get more. Ask more questions. Get more answers. So for example, great. Okay, you'll do your level best. What roadblocks do you see? What challenges do you see of this getting in the way of us having that by Friday close of business? Ah, now you'll get an answer that's going to take you a little bit deeper. Well, sir, we may be short staffed right now. Person X is at a wedding. Now, the American manager may think, wedding? Okay, weekend? They'll be back on Monday? No, not in India. That person may have had to take a three-day train to their village, spend five days in the village for the wedding, because sometimes they go that long, and then come back. So you're talking about you know a staff member who's gone for a week or more, but the American manager may not be aware of that. And so these are the cultural, uh, the breakdowns that happens from a cultural standpoint, if you will, not being direct communicators or being overly direct. The other side of that is, and I've seen this as well, when I worked in Mexico, Americans will go to Latin America or other some other place and they go in with the business in mind right away. Seal the deal. Let's get to business when we get there. Let's talk business. Sign the deal. Then we'll go have drinks. <laughs> of course. Okay. It's the opposite in some cultures, in particular, Mexico, Brazil, and other, you know, Latin American culture. No, we don't get straight to business. We go have dinner and have some drinks and talk about the family and sports and other stuff. We build trust first. Then we talk about the business. But with an American mindset, we may come in first with the business in mind. In those cultures, they may not directly say, well, 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 we're going a little bit too fast, but things will slow down, leaving the Americans to wonder, wow, it was, it just sounded so good. What happened? We went down there and we come back and now we're not hearing a response or they're hesitating or they're pausing. What happened? It's the trust. It's the relationship. And so again, back to our original point, that's Mm -hmm. why I love what I do is because I get in there and I'm able to to kind of coach and help and tease that out and help people improve actually at the end of the day, improve their communication skills, their conversation skills so they can improve their own results. Whatever those results are, they say they need to improve personally and professionally. Yeah, it's so curious that you bring kind of the the international consideration to the discussion, because I think even if you haven't traveled internationally, you've either seen pictures or you can wrap your head around that. Wow, if I travel to a different country, there'd be some culture shock. The image that I'm thinking is when you see uh, people lining up for the the train or the subway in Tokyo mm-hmm. versus New York, where it's like New York City, it's just this mass of people if you've ever been on the subway. And then you see these pictures in, in Tokyo and there everyone's lined up in a straight line. People understand, oh, that's a cultural thing. Get it. Mm-hmm. Totally. Mm -hmm. And when you talk about something like conversations or communication, um, having that disparity between, you know, going over to India or China or, you know, Latin America, like you said, there's going to be different kind of ethics or different preferences involved, right? Work or play first. That's right. That's right. But when you think about kind of teaching people that are like me and that like me bias, you know, so well, everyone's in America and but I see the room this way. I think it's too warm. This person sees it too cold. And you kind of broaden that topic that everyone has an opinion. Does it feel really nebulous to like, where, where do you even begin? Where do you even begin to connect? I think it's easy for the concept on different cultures, but 
when you're in the same culture, where do you start? And it happens because even within the same culture, and this is where it gets, this is where for me, it gets cool, but I was going to say tricky. Even within the same culture, I was born here and raised in the United States. So were you, but I might be more of a direct communicator. You might be less of a direct communicator, even within our own culture, right? So within our own culture, actually, it's a little, from my perspective, a little easier. And I'll tell you why, because we speak the same language, number one. So we've got that down. We've got the same mother tongue, if you will, right? So I can say, hey, you know, how do you see it, Jason? You tell me how you see it. I can come back and say, wow, I understand how you see it that way. But man, I see it completely differently. And you might ask me, well, how do you see it, Luis? And then I share how I see it. And it might be apparent that let's say we're on a team and we're working together to, you know, reach some goal, a deliverable of some sort with a certain date. You want to go down route A and I'm thinking, no, 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 plan B, man. I think that's the way we need to go. You and I can have that conversation with having a difference of opinions, knowing that everybody has a perspective and it might be different and sometimes they clash. That's life. That's okay. Now, given this is the next step, given Jason, that you see it differently than I do. Hey, we got two weeks before we have to like show something, deliver something. The product, part of the project needs to move on. What are we going to do? And that requires another, what we call fierce conversation where I'm authentic with you and say, Hey, you know, I like your idea, but I see some weak points in there. You might tell me, I think your idea is completely nuts, Luis. And we engage in the conversation from there, but we know, hopefully we've established some trust where I know I can tell you, I think your idea is completely whack and here's why. And you can tell me what you think of my idea and we can still move forward given that we're not agreeing, given that we're not seeing eye to eye. What do we do? That's within our own culture. That's, you know, we're, we're, we're speaking the same language and all of that. And there might be some differences perhaps, but when you get into other cultures and it gets a little bit tricky like that. So for example, uh, I'll talk about fierce conversations. The company I work for now, fierce mm-hmm. conversations is basically about being candid, being open, being authentic, saying what you need to say. Not only that, we also teach to ask questions and to give feedback to one another. And we also teach within that to give feedback in an upward direction. That means, hey, you can actually give feedback to your boss or confront your boss in some instances when someone needs to be confronted because perhaps their behavior is offending someone or or they're doing something that's egregious or, or you know, could lose a client because of it or what have you. Someone's got to speak up. In other words, if we see issues in the workplace, someone's got to speak up or we're going to lose a client or in some industries, it could be dangerous, right? You got to speak up if you see something. You know, think of healthcare, think of uh, other, you know, industries where it could be safety issues if you don't speak up. So how do we speak up in the workplace? Well, we in the United States tend to be very, as I mentioned already, direct communicators. So I'm more comfortable in this culture in a meeting where my boss is leading the meeting for me to raise my hand and say, hey, boss, I like your idea, but I'm seeing some gaps. Maybe you haven't seen them. And I begin to share and pick apart the plan that the leader and the boss just laid out. In the American context, the boss may welcome that. Wow, thanks for pointing out the the flaws in my plan. Good thing we caught that before I roll it out and then we have to pull it back. In other contexts, other parts of the world, we can teach that in a fierce conversation workshop. Hey, speak up, come out from behind yourself, say what needs to be say, said. When you see an issue, call it out. If Even if the boss is rolling out a new initiative or new plan, you're going to want to point out the weak spots in it so that it's a stronger plan. That often doesn't translate well in other cultures because I know for a fact things could be changing for sure with, you know, internet and globalization and all that. But still, in some cultures, to tell uh, an employee to raise their hand and contradict the <laughs> boss 
or to say, hey, wait a minute, I'm not sure about that, boss. That is a scary thought. And it might not be well received in those cultures because they're very top down, tend to be traditionally top down management type of uh, structures, if you will. Do as I say, here are your marching orders, go do it. So that's that's kind of the difference. Yeah, I like that you are bringing in the element of asking questions first. I mean, in the coaching world, yeah, we call it, you know, positive inquiry um, or active listening, where you start with asking questions, not because you're waiting for your turn to speak, but because you're actually curious and you're trying to uncover and get that calibration before you go forward. That's right. And so do you have a term for that when you're introducing or does that fit into the fierce conversations model? It's integral. Integral. It's the first step. It's the first, it's the first objective of a fierce conversation. The first objective, the first thing you want to do in what we call a fierce conversation is interrogate reality. That's what we call it. And guess what? It starts with, first of all, whose reality are we, are we interrogating? Everyone's starting with mine, starting with mine. So if Jason, I'm going to come, come to you and, you know, I don't know, say something to you or address something or whatever. I'm first going to interrogate my reality. What is it I want to say? Why do I want to say it? What's my goal here? Is it to help? Is it to improve? Is it to support? Is it to just ask and find out more? What is it? Or is it to look good? Is it to be right? Is it to get some ego stroke or spotlight on me? What's my intention? Interrogate my own reality. So I become clear on it. Ah, No, I need to know more about what Jason's thinking here so that we can work together well and do a good job on this project. So I will interrogate my reality reality first. I've done that. Now I come to you before I jump in with, hey, Jason, here's how I think we should do this. I'll come in with, hey, Jason, what are your thoughts on how we should proceed? And like you said, with the intent to really learn, to listen. So I'm not, as you're telling me how you think we should proceed, I'm not sitting here thinking of my next answer or rebuttal or whatever it is. I'm actually listening. Now, here's the cool part. We human beings are pretty good at spotting or tuning into when people are not being genuine with us, when they're not listening, when they're not really listening or not hearing us. So Mm -hmm. you really have to have it in yourself to want to hear, want to listen, to be an active listener. So that's the first uh, objective of a fierce conversation. Interrogate reality. Everyone's. Ask questions. Get curious is what we say at Fierce. Get curious and don't be satisfied on the surface. Don't be satisfied on with the first answer. So, Jason, how do you think we should move forward with this project or how should we advance? What's the next steps? You tell me. Maybe it's two sentences. I'm not going to stop there. Tell me more about that, Jason. Help me understand what you just said, Jason. I'll repeat what you just said to let you know that I heard what you just said. I actually listened and I heard you. It also gives you an opportunity to come in and fine tune it and correct anything that I might have misheard. And then I'll ask more questions. What else? And I might ask what else again? How else? I'm just going to get curious. And then there will be a point, probably not always, where you will ask me, what are your thoughts, Luis? I'll tell you. You might get curious with me and dig deep. Next thing you know, the second uh, objective of a fierce conversation is interrogate reality. Through that, I'm sorry, uh, provoke learning. Through the interrogation of reality, learning is provoked. Now I have a bigger idea of how you're seeing this. I have more pieces of the puzzle have filled in because Mm -hmm. before before you told me, before I got curious with you, Jason, how do you see this? What's our next steps? I might have had assumptions about what your next steps are. And sometimes we human beings, we believe our assumptions to be true. And often they're not. Often they're very wrong. But with missing pieces of the story, I make assumptions. I fill in those pieces with my own assumptions and I come in. I get those assumptions cleared by asking you, interrogating reality, 
learning is provoked. Now that the learning is provoked, you've got a better idea, a better picture of how I see things. I've definitely got a better idea of how you see things. Now we can tackle the tough challenge of whatever it is that we're working on. Oh, Last man, thing, but in my own head, I was right the whole time. That's <laughs> fine. Okay, great. Okay, great. And I'm like that too. Yeah, but I'm right. I'm right. So let me ask you this. Let me ask you a question. Were you hired in your role, hypothetically speaking, were you hired in this yeah. organization to be right? Or were you hired to make the best possible decision to move the company forward? Mm. Tell me. Well, I would say I, I'm, I'm hired to make the best decision. Okay. All right. Most people would say that. So then I will ask you, okay, so why are you holding on to being right? Inquire more and, you know, be vulnerable and be able to say, wow, I like your idea because you know what? You can be right. So what? We can find data to back up anything under the sun we want. If you think the world's a horrible, awful place, it'll take you 10 seconds. Open up your news app. You got all the data backing, backing you up about how horrible this world is. On the other hand, you think the world's an awesome, glorious, wonderful, miraculous place. It's not going to take you too long to back that up either. So how's, how's that working out for you? Being right. So what? <laughs> How are you moving the needle? How are you showing vulnerability? How are you showing accountability and a willingness to tell people and to admit, you know what? There were some weak spots in my idea. It's not about me being right. It's about making the best decisions for the organization, for improving our bottom line at the end of the day. And the best way I'm going to make the best decision is by hearing other perspectives that are different from my own and inviting the devil's advocates to poke holes in my idea so that I can tweak it and make it stronger before I roll it out. Yeah. And so this is all part of the fierce conversations model. Yep. Where did where did this come from? So you said that you were in the hospitality industry. I mean, how did you formulate this stuff? Because obviously I think it's it's really impactful, but you have you have a hot take, right? With some of these really, really charged kind of terms that that coincide yep. to me when I think of fierce. I'm like, ooh, that's strong. Yeah. You know, that's that's a little, little, maybe a little aggressive, but yeah. you know, when you're explaining it, it all sounds very logical and effective, you know, especially yep. from a coach's point of view. Yeah, well, first of all, I have to give credit to, and you can see the books behind me there, Fierce Leadership and Fierce Conversations, written by Susan Scott. Susan Scott is my mentor. She's my boss. She's the owner, founder of Fierce Conversations and author of the books. So all credit goes to her for this. Uh, this was formulated 15 years ago. She was a, uh, a coach. She was an executive coach mm-hmm. and, you know, has so many stories and experiences and all of that. So this has evolved to where we are today with Fierce Conversations, trainings and workshops and such. So a lot of the terms that I've been using are coined terms that we use at Fierce, but they're 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 impactful with the word fierce. We've actually had uh, clients ask us, hey, we love the models. We love what you do. And we've seen the results from other organizations and the case studies and all that. But this word fierce. See, we have a very we have a very nice organization. We have a culture of nice here. And that word fierce is going to rub people a little wrong. Uh, Can you change it? Maybe could you call it effective conversations or something else? And Susan Scott is adamant. No, we're fierce. Now, what do we mean by fierce? There's a context right there. What's your context? How do you interpret the word fierce? Is it brutal? Is it aggressive? Is it mean? For some people, it might be. What we mean by fierce, and I explain this in all the workshops, it's bold. Absolutely. It's truthful. It's candid for sure. Some people even say it's like radical candor. I have to say the truth. I have to say what needs to be said. It might be difficult to say. It might be challenging to say. I might have fear behind 
speaking up. I'm afraid it might ruin our relationship. I'm afraid it might expose my involvement in what's going wrong. So many fears that hold us back from having the conversation. But the way we look at it is, if I don't say anything, if I keep the conversations at a surface level, if I don't speak what I really need to say, especially in the workplace, eventually it affects our results. It affects the company's results as well. The bottom line at the end of the day. I'll pause there. Yeah. Are people really surprised when they re- realize, and it, no wonder why it's written by a, an executive coach. It's why I'm like, these things are resonating with me that such, you know, charged language that can be powerful. And like you said, the, you know, someone says, oh, can it be effective conversations because they don't like the term says more about the person than the actual model. Yeah. But do you think people are surprised when they learn it's, it's written by, you know, a female executive coach when sometimes <sighs> people perceive things as like, being too aggressive can be different for, you know, males versus females, especially in something like the workplace or leadership. Yeah, that's interesting. No, but usually people are really, uh, use a California term, stoked to hear that the company uh, is founded by women and up until last year run completely by women. Uh, mm-hmm. But what people are, the reactions I've gotten, I've been with Fierce for five years now, the reactions that I get that is most common is, hey, this is this is not rocket science. In fact, I intuitively know all of this. It's just that Susan has done a great job in giving it really good names and organizing things in a very logical way that makes sense. And that's practical. That's what I love about our trainings with Fierce Conversations is that I can spend two hours with you and you can go out now and start having that particular conversation, whatever it is. So that's the biggest thing I get is, wow, you know, this is this is so cool. It makes sense. Yeah, I get it. It's obvious. Duh. And Susan has just put it in and compartmentalized it and put it in such a way that we can grab it, understand it and practice it. Yeah. Improve our conversations. Yeah. I like that, that it's practical. You can just start using it right away. And so you gave us a a preview of the first two or three steps of the core model. How many steps are there? So let me back up. So that was the, that was four objectives of a fierce conversation. Four objectives. Four objectives. That's basically like, what do you want to get out of a fierce conversation? You want to interrogate reality. You want to provoke learning. You want to tackle the tough challenge, whatever it is that you're talking about. Sometimes they're not so tough. Some could be, what do we get for dinner tonight? Pizza or Mexican? That could be the tough challenge. Uh, (laughs) Or it could be something a lot tougher than that. The fourth one is enrich relationships. We cannot forget enriching relationships because I can interrogate reality. I can provoke learning. And I can tackle tough challenges and leave you feeling like crap. Okay, we still yeah. got to work and we still got to work together. So how can we disagree? Like I said, you want plan A, I think you're nuts. I want plan B, you think I'm nuts. And here we are, we have two weeks to deliver this to, you know, to move it on the project. Given that we disagree, Jason, how are we going to move forward? Now, another thing I want to say about how, and this is what I teach. People have asked me, okay, you and Jason don't agree. You say plan A, he says plan B. And you actually said you think his plan is nuts. How is the relationship enriched? Well, Jason, I respect you for keeping it real with me, as we would say, for speaking your truth to me. You could have said, oh, yeah, great idea, Luis. And in the back of your mind, oh, my gosh, is that nuts? And then (laughs) later we go with that plan only to have it bomb, only to have it fail. And then later I find out, Jason, you actually had a better idea and you never brought it up. That erodes the trust between us. On the other hand, I actually respect you and trust you more to be able to say, hey, Luis, man, this might be hard for me to say. It's kind of hard for me to say right now, but gosh, I'm not sure your plan's going to work. And here's why. 
and you lay it out why. And then I actually have respect for you because I feel like you've got my back. You've told me, hey, no, Luis, I want to support you. I've seen gaps in your plans that you may not see. Let's talk about it. So I actually, and the relationship is enriched that way by building the trust. It doesn't happen immediately. Sometimes you got to start just by building trust uh, by casual conversation, checking in with people. So I guess that makes it uh, easier to uh, ha- navigate how to have a fierce conversation about your uh, in-laws tuna casserole surprise, right? It's something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Help me understand why you chose tuna casserole tonight. <laughs> you know, instead of saying, what the hell? Why the heck did you choose tuna casserole tonight? Look, as I said earlier, and I'll say it right now, why are we even talking about this? Because mm-hmm. gradually, then suddenly, one conversation at a time, we're either moving towards what we say we want or away from it. It happens in conversations. We know that. And highly affected people like us, we track the trends of our lives. So we know, okay, where do I see myself professionally or personally, right? What are my goals? Where am I headed? And who do I need to have conversations with to help me get there? And sometimes we have to backtrack. Sometimes we have to go back and re-examine and then be intentional about our conversations and who we have them with, number one. So that's why... That's why we're even talking about this and it extends to business. Business, as I mentioned, is one one extended conversation. So that's why we're here talking about we got those four objectives, the fierce conversation objectives that I just mentioned to you. Um, And then we have seven principles, which I won't go into. But the seven principles are basically what do you do in a fierce conversation? What are the tools that I use to make it a fierce conversation? I'll give you some examples. One of them is let silence do the heavy lifting. I love that Mm. one. Let silence do the heavy lifting. People go, well, what the heck do you mean by that? And what's the heavy lifting? Okay. So remember, get curious, interrogate reality. Don't be satisfied on the surface. So Jason, tell me about that. You begin to tell me. And I'm like, what else? You begin to tell me. What else? Tell me more. Tell me more. And then there reaches a point where I go, Jason, what else, man? How is this affecting you? Or how is this affecting the team? Or whatever the question is. And suddenly there's silence. We U.S. Americans tend to be uncomfortable with silence. Oh, yeah. Other other cultures, not so much. <laughs> we tend to be uncomfortable with it. So after about five seconds of you're not saying anything in response to my question, I'm getting really uncomfortable and I jump in and say something else uh, to, you know, not be uncomfortable with that with that silence. Right. So one of our principles is let silence do the heavy lifting. Just shut up for 30 seconds. Why? Jason's processing. He's thinking emotions may have come up and maybe now he's dealing with getting angry or sad or whatever it is. Get comfortable with the silence and you will be surprised. You think an eternity has passed. It's only been 15 seconds. Give it another 15 seconds. You'll be surprised with what Jason says after that silence. Realizations happen in the space between words. (laughs) So we have to allow for the silence. That's just one of our principles. And so we give these tools. Last thing I'll say on that is these are foundational ideas of fierce conversations. The four objectives, the seven principles, this idea of gradually, then suddenly uh, success or failure that happens one conversation at a time. These are all foundational, fierce concepts. From that foundation that I just shared with you, we also have models like our coaching model, our conflict resolution model, which we call confrontation, a delegation model, accountability, feedback, negotiations, all using these principles and ideas and objectives that I just shared with you being woven into a specific targeted kind of a conversation like coaching, if you will. Yeah, these are great muscles to grow. I mean, being comfortable with silence is a is a very bread and butter coaching mentality, but so effective for leaders because you're right in the US, we're super uncomfortable with that. And a lot of yeah. people love to chime in or ask. And what I'm notorious for is the, the double question. What's where you that? ask something, you ask a question and then you kind of rephrase it and then put another question at the end. 
So you've asked like <laughs> yeah. two questions and then their minds going they're going to what sideways. Yeah. 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 yeah absolutely. But as we kind of um, I will have links to the show notes because I would love to get people hooked up and how they can learn more about fierce conversations. But as we kind of wrap up for today, you know, tell me a little bit more about Luis, the person. So you've been working with this material for five years. You've had yep. a super solid mentor and you got this really interesting kind of take on on how to structure conversations and communications, which we're doing all the time, but we're not always really good at it. How has that <laughs> yeah. impacted you in the way that maybe you communicate with friends or family? Yeah. Or- I am an, I'm a student. I, I, I'm going to say that out of the gate. I'm learning like the rest of us. And I say that in all my workshops. I'm in the class with you. I'm learning as well. So how has that affected me in the last five years? My gosh, first of all, whoever thought getting curious and interrogating reality might be a good start. Because prior to that, I'll admit, even at my age and my tenure professionally, never crossed my mind until I came in in contact with Fierce Conversations to go into a conversation first with curiosity to find out what other people's perspectives are before you share your own. I was always coming in with, hey, everybody, I know what needs to be done. Everybody just needs to shut up and listen to me. Sometimes I have a big ego like that. And now it's caused me to be more humble. It's caused me to be more receptive. How do you see it? Number one. The second thing, how this has affected my life um, has really come to the fore uh, since the pandemic hit in 2020. It comes directly out of our accountability workshop model. And I'll explain it to you. It boils down to this. Given the current circumstances I find myself in that maybe I didn't ask for, maybe are unpleasant, maybe are challenging, maybe are horrible. Given given the current circumstances that I find myself in that I have no control over, let's admit it. I don't have control over it. It's okay. I can admit it. I'm out of control here. I have no control (laughs) over a global pandemic. Given the current circumstances, what can I do to get a different result of some sort, however small? So that leaves me with a choice. I can wallow in this misery. I can wallow in the negativity. And I'm going to get a certain result out of that. It's going to affect my health. It's going to affect my mindset. It's going to affect quality of my work. It's going to affect my personal relationship if I have that negative mindset. Okay, so given the current reality that sucks, that I didn't ask for, that's challenging, that might even be painful or even horrible. What can I do to shift this in my own way, in my own world? How can I gain something positive out of this? What can I do to get a different result? And I have that conversation with myself every morning when I get up because something I don't know about you, but uh, our my world... It, Changes are happening every day that I didn't expect, and we're moving really quick, and we're pivoting left and right uh, in terms of business, right? So I wake up in the morning knowing things are going to happen that are out of my control that I didn't ask for, and when that happens, I have a choice. I can look at the glasses half full or half empty. I can look at it as a bowl of cherries or a bowl of pits. The choice is mine. It may not change the pandemic. It may not change anything out there, but it changes my mentality. It changes my mood, my emotions, and then things in my own immediate world change as a result of that. My work is better. My relationships are better. I feel better. My health is better. But it's a constant thing that I, at least I'll speak for myself, that I have to do every day. Conversely, in the night, and I'm being very genuine when I say this, this is how fierce conversations has affected me. Mm. I lay in bed at night and I think to myself, how could I have been more authentic? We wear faces. I wear faces, a face for my boss, a face for my colleagues, a face for my lover, a face. You go around wearing masks saying, and I'll speak for myself, saying what we think people want us to say or what's going to please them, what they, you know, might want to hear. And I lay in bed at night as I reflect on my day and I think to myself, how could I have kept it real? How could I have actually been more authentic? Uh, And how many boats did I rock today by my snide comments or my cute comments that maybe offended people or rub people the wrong way? 
how could I have done better? How could I have done better in terms of what we call the emotional wake that I leave behind after I talk with people? So those are two impactful ways that I can say right off the top of my head uh, that Fierce Conversations has impacted me. And again, I'm a student. Sometimes I don't do so well. Sometimes I'm not as authentic. Sometimes I'm more authentic, right? So yeah. You mean to tell me you're a human being? I'm a human being. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll give you an example with that accountability. You know, given the current circumstances, what can I do to get a, a different result? You know what? I allow myself two days max to wallow in a Netflix cave or eat crappy food and just go and listen to sad music. But I only give myself two days. And at two days, I pull myself out and go, "Okay, that's enough. You wallowed in it. Now what? Given the current circumstances, what are you going to do to move this in a different direction? Interesting. So mindsets in the morning, kind of conclusions on accountability, (laughs) what you could have done better in the evening, and then uh, a time limit, right? Hey, two days to get on the on the sad train there and then get off. <laughs> Pretty I love much. It. Those are solid things. Pretty much. So Luis Gonzalez, Fierce Conversations. This has been awesome. Where can people find out more about you and the work that you're doing? Yeah, first of all, I, uh, thank you for asking that question. I appreciate it. Um, two ways to get in touch with me. So for listeners, if you're a leader or if you're not even a leader, you'd like to transform the communication the way we've been talking about it now in your team, organization, or personally, go to our website. We've got some free content and tools there you can get right now to help Help yourself and others around you become expert conversationalists. So I'll just say it really quickly. It's fierceinc.com forward slash resources. Maybe we'll put those in the notes below. F- oh, I- you know it. Okay. Fierceinc.com forward slash resources. Look for that link uh, in the notes below. Free resources that you can grab right now. Uh, the second way is I love to expand my network on LinkedIn. So connect with me on LinkedIn. And I managed years ago to get the name Luis Gonzalez right after that slash. So it's LinkedIn forward slash slash I N forward slash my name, Luis Gonzalez. Let's continue the conversation and grow our network together. Awesome. Jason. Yeah, we will totally have those in the show notes. Luis, thank you so much for coming on the show today. This has been a really cool discovery and we'll leave it there with that for today. And until next time. Thank you, Jason. It's a real pleasure to be here. Appreciate it.